Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by my friend and CEO founder at Tech Emergence and now repeat guest on our show, Dan Fagella. Tech Emergence is the only market research and company discovery platform focused exclusively on artificial intelligence and machine learning. Dan sold his first business, which he was building when him and I first met, for six figures. After building his second business from zero to $75,000 a month, we did an interview here on this show. You may want to go back and listen to that one after hearing this, and ultimately, he was doing over 175000 a month and sold it for a seven-figure exit. Both businesses served as economic fuel for tech emergence, his true passion. Dan believes the most important ethical considerations of the coming 30 years will be on the creation or expansion of sentience and intelligence in technology. Tech emergence is intended first as a vehicle to proliferate an open-minded conversation about the implications and applications of AI, simply because Dan feels it's so important. So I've asked Dan to join us here today so we could all discover what's coming in the near future and how we can align our businesses to make the most of it. So Dan, thank Thank you for joining us, my friend. I always love our conversations. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing great, Daryl. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And, and just to calm everybody down, too, I think it's important to note most of our chat here today will be about growing and selling a, a multi-million dollar e-commerce business. Uh, AI is, is certainly where I am now, but uh, we'll be hopping into your, your normal rigmarole right here, my good man. <laughs> Now, they, I kind of showed them a little bit about your background, yeah. but not a lot of people know like your, where you're from or what kind of family you have. Like, do you come from a, his, a family of entrepreneurs? Is this like, are you getting grandparent, you know, like how to be successful with this juice, you know, like the secrets of time or what? Yeah, um, not a ton probably. Uh, so my, um, I think my dad's dad had a laundry truck. I mean, it wasn't the kind of business you could ever, <laughs> it wasn't the kind of business you could ever sell. Right. And I think back in like, you know, 1930 something, uh, Probably like more people were, um, or there, there were a lot of sort of entrepreneurs of that kind of regular fashion. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how he paid the bills. They, they were definitely not even quite uh, middle class per se. And then my dad uh, had a carpet store. So he sold kind of carpets and tile. We're in a really small town in Rhode Island. Which is a really small state. <laughs> Eight, yeah, Rhode Island is the smallest state in the U.S. And Wakefield is an extremely small town. Uh, by itself, Wakefield's probably only four or 5,000 people. Surrounding towns, we get a little bit more, but um, it's definitely uh unless it's the summertime there's no reason to uh to go down there <laughs> so yeah no no major business wisdom uh in youth but fortunately an emphasis on um if you fail really there's nobody else to blame mm. and so at, at least that kind of old school you know immigrant uh you know just hustle you schmuck uh, at least that kind of kicked in but certainly no built-in insight mm. uh that, that's safe to say got it <laughs> no advice uh from from youth about um accounting and marketing and things of this nature so then how did how did you even get started as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I, I was teaching at a jiu-jitsu academy when I was an undergrad in college, and uh, they went out of business because that's what martial arts academies do. Um, <laughs> and uh, 
And so I had nowhere to train and, and I didn't want to have to drive an hour to train. So I figured, you know, in, in a, a completely not long-term thinking way, I, I thought, man, you know, I, I should just find a way to have a gym and, and then I, I don't have to drive very far to train a lot and, and compete. So I rolled out some old wrestling mats in, in the back of my, my dad's carpet store. I, I traded him by paying for the electric and the heating when we were using using that space and we were using this big warehouse when the carpet store was closed down. It's like six o'clock at night and just started uh, teaching there. And then that, that business actually ended up turning into uh, uh, like a 4,000 square foot formal martial arts gym in uh, two or three years. Um, and and uh, I sold that thing to kind of start the e-commerce game. So right. started off very, very haphazard, Daryl, very much like, man, I just don't want to get a job. And I, I think martial arts is more fun than delivering pizza. Right. Uh, so that's, right. that's kind of how I got off the ground. Right. And that's where we met in the building of the martial arts school, yep. which was, yeah, which was awesome. So that's a, like, and that's also even honestly in a short time period, you know, like this isn't, I don't even think we're at 10, it's, it's not been 10 years. No, no, not even, not even close. I think w- when you and I met, I was 23, I'm, I'm now 29. Yeah, okay. Uh, so this was actually not horrendously long ago. Yeah. Right. So for people listening, when they're trying to think like, oh, you know, they say it takes 10 years to be successful and stuff. I mean, you can have a seven figure exit in less than 10 years, in less than six years, because Dan's already had it. If you're focused and, you know, and on it, and if maybe you don't want to exit, but you can still build the substantial business in a short period of time. True. I think a lot of people underestimate or overestimate what they can get done in three, four, five, six months, but they underestimate what they can do in one year, two years, three years. So I think that's safe to say, and that's uh, commonly stated in, in other domains like the future of technology and whatnot. You know, we, we think there'll be some huge changes in, in the next year, but then we imagine 20 years from now, it'll kind of be the same with some slight differences. So yeah, this is, I think, sort of how the human mind works. We weren't built for this originally, Daryl. We've just got to cope. So what were some of the biggest challenges? challenges for you in going through that and from just having like a rec club to a professional business to exiting it to building a new business from scratch online this time you know like what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced yeah um, I, I think you know for, for the sake of the, the audience that's tuned in and sort of what might be useful I, I think you know the transition from a physical martial arts facility basically just to uh, fill the pressing need of having to pay for Ivy League graduate school um, and, and not having any other ways uh, to going into an e-commerce business who's goal, Daryl, from the get-go, the goal of Science of Skill, the company that, that I sold to fund what I'm doing now in, in the Valley here, from the get-go, the, the whole point was to build something uh, saleable so that um, I could you know, move to the old uh, San Francisco area without having to give away any equity in, in my company off the bat, at least not right off the bat. So uh-huh. that was the whole, the whole point. That's a big transition, to go from a very provincial 4,000-person town teaching people how to punch and kick and choke one another uh, <laughs> to um, you know, an, an online business with recurring revenue that has processes in place that make it worth, you know, 90% cash down for a little over a million bucks. Um, it, it's definitely a different ballgame. So the, the biggest hurdles were probably off the bat learning kind of the requisite required skills. So man, how do you, how do you like build a website? How do you, um, you know, what do you do with email? You know, what do you use to process payments on the internet? All of these things were completely brand new. Um, so the bumbling through the tools and the bumbling through how to use the tools uh, was, I, I I'd say certainly a challenge in getting started uh, building an e-commerce business that I knew had to had to be multiple millions in top line. So, and that's a great, I think you're probably striking a chord with a lot of people either that have already gone through that in whatever 
capacity for their business or are experiencing that right now. And how, how did you, how did you overcome those then? Yeah, two primary ways. Um, one was uh, just a lot of Googling really late at night and, and less sleep than uh, I would have preferred maybe. That's <laughs> sort of one way. The, the, other, the other way is I've always, uh, and I, I don't necessarily advise it, but I, <laughs> I do always spend a relatively uh, exorbitant amount on kind of consultative stuff and learning from people who've already done what I want to do. So in the martial arts world, I didn't, you know, get my black belt under uh, under the guy down the street who taught martial arts. I, I drove, you know, four hours to find the lightweight no-gi world champion because I, I also uh, wanted to win national championships uh, in no-gi jiu-jitsu. So kind of, do you want to learn? Like, there's nobody in, in Wakefield, Rhode Island who, who runs, you know, big old, big old e-commerce company. So for me, it was kind of finding a lot of folks. I mean, some of these people you know, Daryl, the people at Sixth Division uh, out of Infusionsoft, other folks uh, in kind of the, the membership site space and kind of subscription revenue space. I just tried to get into as much kind of coaching as I could. So mm. instead of having a slightly nicer apartment or, you know, eating something other than, uh, you know, white bread and uh, frozen spinach or something, I just uh, spent all that on frantically uh, learning from people who had gotten to whatever the next step was uh, and just feverishly uh, trying to implement it as fast as possible. I remember we used to have we used to have our saying roof and ramen. Yeah, roof and just, just give me roof and ramen and I'll blow the rest on uh, making sure that, you know, I can uh, escape my provinciality. So that that was uh <laughs> that was the the objective. Yes. Uh, really really focusing on Basically, the, the mental exercise, Daryl, was number one, I mean, again, a lot of late night Googling and figuring it out because I, I couldn't pay for that much consulting in these early days in my earlier 20s. But, uh, you know, learning from whoever I could and, and Googling a bunch, but basically figuring out, you know, if I if I were to guess what the next phase is, let's say the, the next phase, if I'm starting from zero in e-commerce, uh, selling information products and training, um, the next phase maybe is one or 200,000. Who's kind of gotten there? You know, I, I bet you they don't charge a thousand bucks an hour. I bet you I can kind of learn a little something from them. Uh, let's go find those people. So determining what the next phase is in a like or analogous uh, kind of success, that became sort of my mental exercise for who I want to learn from. Mm, I love that. So you weren't trying to network with billionaires yet. You were like, let me find someone that's, you know, doing six figures. Let me find someone that's doing half a million. Let totally. me find someone that's doing a million. Let me find someone that's doing, I got it. Big, big time. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, look, I mean, to be honest, I can at least speak for myself. Look at uh, talking to, you know, Buffett uh, about selling, you know, subscription information products on the internet. I mean, to be honest, I'm sure I would have garnered some high level insights that I'd be grateful for. But uh, number one, I, I couldn't afford an hour of Buffett's time. Number two, you know, this is a kind of specialized thing. Like we're talking about setting up landing pages here. You know, I just don't think that's Buffett's ball game. You know what I'm saying? Right. So right, right. Uh, it's specific, specialized experience and kind of the next phase up. This was sort of the, the mode of finding the mentor. Now I have a question because your company was the science of skill. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. for anyone who heard that, can you give them a breakdown? Like what is the science of skill? Yeah, yeah, sure. So science of skill was essentially, and it still is, uh, I don't run the business, but we had a buyer group from, Ohio, of all places in the world, who, who was running some software as a service businesses selling to governments and wanted to get into recurring revenue uh, in a consumer space that had a faster buying cycle than governments. So they, they now own it. But it does the same thing. Uh, basically, Science of Skills sells physical gear and instructional programs for self-defense and self-protection. Ah. So some of this is hand-to-hand uh, -hand self-defense skills, learning from kickboxing experts or grappling experts. Some of this is uh, bladed weapon defense. So learning from people who train police officers on 
on avoiding getting stabbed or cut or... or I mean the science like, of learning a skill and developing a skill. Yeah. Yeah. W- w- wait, what do you get? Do you... But not, not the company. What's the science of learning a skill? Oh, you want, you want me to go into the actual science? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. so, uh, yeah. That was the business. But, well, interestingly enough, Daryl, there's, a, of course, a pretty strong crossover. So right. all my graduate degree stuff at UPenn was focused on kind of the cognitive science and like psychology and neuroscience of um, skill development. So what does it look like to get good at something? Um, and science of skill was built and predicated on that. So there's a lot of interesting models and and. I very much don't want to bore people. Super duper don't want to do that. Uh, Anders Ericsson, uh, founders of goal setting theory. There's a bunch of cool people to read in this regard. But there's there's essentially some fundamentals around what it takes to build skills. What, what kind of repetition is required? Um, what kind of feedback from what kind of experts is required? How to model and simulate environments like those that you're going to be in when you need to perform otherwise? Uh, a lot of kind of tenets and principles around building skill. And a lot of this has been studied really, really, really far in depth and in kind of very basic uh, abilities uh, or or things that are reasonably easy to study, such as uh, playing the violin, uh, performing in sport, uh, memorizing numbers. Um, These kind of tasks have have had some pretty robust academic work behind them. And so there's there's some strong sort of theory and practice around what it takes to get good at something. And so the business science of skill was built on basically creating um, educational programs in line with a lot of those principles, in line with uh, those same tenets. So when you say specific type of repetition, what type? Like, how do I get good at something, Dan? I got to set some goals. I got to get regular feedback at regular intervals from experts. I got to get what type of, what do you mean specific types of repetition? Yeah. So um, a really kind of important thing uh, in this regard would be uh, when you said you got to set some goals, that's often kind of the, the easiest place to go wrong first. The best place to, or the best way to set goals, um, the same person you want to learn a particular wonderful skill from, whether you want to win a martial arts tournaments or, or you'd like to grow a business, um, you could arbitrarily set goals just while you're dreaming in your bedroom. But a better bet would be to find the same people who've accomplished those objectives or help train other people to accomplish those objectives and consult them even in the goal setting process. Mm. So anchoring your aims to what you arbitrarily consider to be a right and requisite next step is sort of drastically improper. So if you want to be a martial arts champion in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you might determine all kinds of wacky, wild things that you think, okay, well, these are my goals. I'm going to train, take down 60% of my time. I'm going to watch competition videos 20% of my time. I'm going to make sure I'm training at least this many times a week. Kind of who are you to do that? So skill development off the bat involves uh, the structure of training, the structure of how these skills are are worked about being developed, uh, being informed by someone who knows their stuff. Uh, so if you want to grow a pizza chain that uh, has, you know, 12 or more locations, you could arbitrarily determine what, what your first steps, next steps, and further steps are there. But it would probably be better advised uh, to find someone who's done it. So goal setting off the cuff should be something that, that's referenced by experts, not just your training sessions. Mm, got it. Okay. So I love that. So obviously knowing the way is, is huge in this as opposed to trying to sit in a garage and figure out how to defend yourself with somebody who knows nothing better to talk to an expert. Definitely. The, the the Bonaparte quote here is read over and over again the campaigns of Hannibal and Caesar and Frederick the Great and you know you'll become a great general. Of course at some point you you know Bonaparte had cannons, right? Caesar didn't have cannons. You got to start thinking a little bit outside of the box, but generally for step 1 there there's sort of been a guy who's done it. And in terms of how those requisite skills are cultivated, um, what kind of training and learning is required, it's generally uh, very well advised to consult uh, those 
those persons who have evidence of those results you're looking for, um, rather than going to them with your own preconceived goals first. I say go to them to get your goals in the damn first place. Mm. This is sort of skill development 101. Mm, mm, mm. Got it. And then is it just the 10,000 hours? You got the expert making sure you're on a path and then you just bang out your 10,000 hours? That's, um, 10,000 hours is like a, a, it's a perversion of Anders Ericsson's work. Um, it's like a buzzword version of Anders Ericsson's work. Anybody who wants to read Anders Ericsson is uh, University of Florida, father of modern skill acquisition sort of science. Um, there's a little bit more kind of robustness to that in terms of the structure of training and, and like how feedback feeds in and things along those lines. But yeah, certainly it's it's time. Uh, it's it's regularity of training. Uh, it's consistent feedback during that training. Um, and, and as mentioned before, Daryl, you know, the, the, the regimen and structure of the training and when, what the training is focused on should be very much informed um, by folks who sort of know their stuff. So uh, if you imagine two situations, one of which is you want to become an opera singer and you live on a farm in Wisconsin and you want to stay on that farm in Wisconsin and communicate with no one uh, and you just have records to listen to, it is possible and conceivable, and I'm sure it has been done, that you could become an opera singer through that method. Um, it would be better advised to determine your voice exercises, determine uh, how much is too much training, how much is too little training um, from persons who are exceedingly experienced in that domain. Mm. Uh, and then to garner their feedback consistently as you're practicing your, uh, you know, I, I don't know any opera terminology, you know, but whatever, whatever it is that those people do. <laughs> so it's <laughs> You're, uh, I, I literally, literally, I don't know the word. Yeah, like right. your, your barettos and your, uh, your, you know, some, some random Italian word for, uh, for singing, uh, on, on a stage. Clearly not my, uh, life choice, but if that were your life choice, it'd be better advised to, um, kind of riff off the bat with someone who knew their stuff. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. I yeah, appreciate course, you indulging my, my, because I think that that's important because we talked about where you came from, talked about like your development along this path, and I think that that will be really helpful for a lot of people. Because a lot of people have no idea. Remember when we talked about like black belt eyes, forgetting what it's like to be a new person at the gym. Yeah. A lot of people have no idea what it's like to develop a skill or the business. And so I think what we just honestly gave, and people hopefully were writing down. If not, they may want to re-listen and write it down. Might want to listen to this interview a couple of times. But you, you literally just gave them a formula there for how to accomplish anything, any skill that they want, really. You know, just have some time, have regularity of training, have focus in your training. On what? Well, this, you know, have input from uh, experts, top of the field experts from the get go, from the beginning in the, like you said, in the planning stage to set your expectations realistically yep. to tell you, make sure that you're not overdeveloping in any one area too much over another. I think that's fantastic. So, and then, yeah, the fee regular feedback from experts as you progress. And is it multiple experts are ideal or is it better to have one person you sink in on? I guess there's sort of debate on this in some regard. Um, I think the hungriest people and, and, and the farthest reaching people in, in any given domain uh, generally will be eager for multiple perspectives. Right. Again, you know, the Bonaparte quote lists four or five generals. And, and I think for, for good reason, you know, it, if you're going to overwhelm yourself and learn from 50 people, you're, you're probably blowing it. Mm -hmm. But if you can garner from different people with different perspectives, I think that this is reasonably advisable. Uh, but if it becomes so distractive that, that you feel like you're being torn, I, you're probably crossing the edge. But I mean, in, in the martial arts world, Daryl, which you would understand, you know, if you get some other world champion who's two towns over teaching a seminar, I mean, you're just going to go to the goddamn seminar. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're just going <laughs> to freaking go. Like, oh, who cares? You know, I'm, I like, you know, he's won a couple world titles. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, I love my coach. I love my, you know, my, my, yeah. yeah. God bless my coach, right? But, you know, whatever. It is what it is. It's 50 bucks. I'm going to go learn, you know, the, the way that this guy does his takedowns. I'm going to learn the way that he does his drilling, you know? Yep, yep. Um, so I think that this is advisable in, in business as well. But yeah, the really important point, I think, which I know I've kind of flubbed uh, in, in earlier ventures, is not consulting folks in the middle of the path, but consulting folks on sort of what path to walk down, what expectations to set, what your initial goal should be um, off the cuff. Right now for tech emergence, for example, Daryl, you know, I'm building a, a different kind of business than the first two companies that I've grown and sold. Um, and I'm, I'm having to learn uh, systems and processes around organic traffic, systems and processes around editorial uh, and content creation. And instead of sort of saying, well, I, I guess this is what it looks like to scale this process, I'm paying money uh, to talk to people who've worked at Bloomberg and Vox and uh, New York Times, etc. Mm -hmm. um, and just saying, hey, man, you know, here's how our spreadsheets are set up to do such and such. Let me know what you would change. Let me know how you did it. Let me know what you would do in my shoes. And let me just anchor myself in some semblance of best practice. And I, I can innovate when it's time, but at least get me up to speed on what works here. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So a anchoring goals, in initial processes, initial goals off of someone who at least understands the reality, I think is very much uh, to be advised. Mm. No, that's a fantastic, that's, that's a fantastic point there. I mean, I always say that's one of my favorite things about books is you could spend 40, 50, 60 years figuring out something for yourself, or you could just buy the guy's book or the girl's book and yep. sit down for a few hours or a week, you know, or a few days and pick up where they left off. Yep. You don't need to invest 40 years in that. Yep. You know, Jim Rohn says that. He says you should spend your evenings reading the thoughts of like Plato and Socrates and all the great thinkers of the world. You could sit there all night and not think of that stuff on your own. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. You, you may you may never arrive at a, like Aristotle's exact list of virtues uh, on your own on a couch. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> safe to say, or, or Pythagorean theorems, uh, you know, assuming you didn't learn that kind of stuff in school. So for sure. And I think, you know, if you can't afford to go pay a bunch of consultants, and, and I, I actually couldn't, I just decided, you know, to do it instead of eat, then uh, books and the internet are kind of the free university of, of the world or, or as close to free as it gets. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm definitely congenial with that. Um, I'm guilty of purchasing more books than I can I can read. <laughs> yeah, me too. But it's, it's out of that same eagerness. So, well, exactly. The book you don't own, you can't read. And the book you don't read can't help you. So the first step is you got to own it, right? Which means you're going to have, uh, I mean, it's like a muscle building. If anyone here is in fitness, if you're in a, if you're trying to bulk up and add weight, you're going to put on fat too. You just, you know, so you're going to buy books and you're going to pay for stuff that you may or may not use, but it's all part of the process. Right? Nice, nice analogy, Daryl. I never heard that one, man. That's pretty good. Well, it's just, it's just real. So now, um, what's the deal with some of the habits you've had that you felt helped you accomplish and have helped you accomplish that? Because not everyone can build a successful business. And then even when they do have a successful business, not everyone can exit it and find a seller and that the whole way through. So what habits do you feel have helped you and some of the other successful people you've seen on your path? Yeah. Um, now, just in terms of where you want to point the uh, the laser beam here, do you, do you want to go into kind of like day-to-day -day work habits stuff? Do you want to go into more like business processes to, to ensure that sort of we're in place? Um, where do you want to knuckle down on like a personal level? Let's do both. Let's start off on the day-to-day -day you and then talk about as a business. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, uh, I'd be remiss to, to say that I invented a lot of the habits that I sort of follow through on on a regular basis. Uh, this stuff has been informed by kind of the, the full gambit from books like Scaling Up by Vern Harnish, which is sort of case studies on large companies, uh, you know, like public level 
companies uh, and sort of the, the processes underlying business growth to, you know, even the, the, the David Allens of the world getting things done, which is a great book. Uh, Tony Robbins, there's, there's all kinds of people I've learned from, but on um, things that, that have stuck for me, Daryl, that I, I think have been helpful and, and they've been helpful for me in a couple accounts, just to, to be clear too. So science of skill, uh, again, luckily we, we got it past the $2 million mark in uh, the fourth year, um, should be in the Inc. 500, not, not the 5,000, should be in the, the Inc. 500, um, and did, did get an exit for that thing. Important to bear in mind that I was doing that at the same time as I was spending, you know, another 20 to 40 hours a week uh, on tech emergence. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a, a part-time venture. So Science of Skill was a, a part-time Inc. 500 uh, venture. So uh, very light on the sleep. Uh, very, very aggressive on, on the work uh, and had to figure out how to jam a bunch of stuff in. So things that were important for me and, and continue to be uh, are quarterly, weekly, and daily regimens that sort of anchor on priority. Because there's a thousand directions to go when I'm, I'm trying to, you know, write a TED Talk and finish a piece for, uh, you know, Huffington Post and, uh, you know, hire another writer for Tech Emergence and at the same time, you know, finish some product launch for some new self-defense knife and, uh, you know, orchestra straight some big email campaign uh, in e-commerce. Like it, it, it very quickly can just become a frantic, mouth-frothing, unproductive uh, kind of bunch of lunacy. <laughs> and I've certainly been there uh, on a few occasions, but have been fortunate enough to learn and, and survive. So the quarterly process for me, Daryl, and, and this is sort of like, there's, there's other like, uh, I could kind of distill other habit stuff, but really the, the rhythm is more important than like, mm-hmm. oh, here's the cool, neat yoga trick I do in the morning. Like, eh, I don't know if I can really care. Right. Uh, like for, for me, the, the, the rhythm and consistency element of ensuring priority focus is, is a big deal. And that those are going to change. Your priorities are going to violently change on a semi-regular basis uh, in business. So you're going to have to be forced to calibrate to that. But so long as you're, you're inching towards the direction that progress is, and you can ensure that you're doing that, you can kind of make it through a lot of this junk. So the the way that I like to go about that, there's a great book called Scaling Up by Vern Harnish that talks about these processes on a business level, uh, but on a personal level, I, I kind of go through the same things. On a quarterly basis, the big game, Daryl, is really brainstorming, and this is actually something I do with the team. What are the major themes of improvement that uh, in the next three months are most likely to get us to the sort of business goals that we presently have? Mm-hmm. So last year, you know, getting uh, multiple millions to the top line was a big deal. We, we definitely wanted it to be more than two million uh, in the top line. Uh, We had a a certain amount in terms of profit margin that we wanted to to get. Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of to to make it fun and kind of gun for it, we we were going to try to shoot for for the Inc. 500 thing. Eventually, I'm going to have to raise venture money. And it'll be better to say, you know, in my 20s, I was in Inc. 500 than it will be to say in my 20s, you know, I I won a national martial arts championship. Like VCs aren't going to really care about that. So Mm -hmm. I have to have some sort of signal that I can can, uh, create a a return on on investment. So so yeah, so those were some objectives. You know, hey, what in the next three months, you know, uh, what are, what are going to be the major thematic focuses that are going to get us to those uh, goals? So just examples for you, Daryl, this could be uh, refining and improving customer service processes, you know, getting our, mm-hmm. and then, and then boiling that down into tangible objectives. Okay. We're going to rewrite our templates for customer service. We're going to get our ticket time to less than 12 hours for every single ticket. We're going to, mm. um, you know, have a weekly training call for 90 minutes to go through tickets with our uh, outsourced team to really refine and improve the more nuanced responses that have to be more dialed in than they are now. Okay, the next thing is we need to 
revamp. Um, so you know the store page, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Go ahead. So you've got annual goals, and then you have quarterly kind of review that you do with your team, and you come up with quarterly priorities. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Three to five quarterly priorities are rocks Big that time. you're going to focus all your activity on. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right there. Yeah, you're using the rock term, right? This is and this is um uh, that's like Stephen Covey's word, uh, but Vern actually references it in scaling up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, exactly. Three or four kind of core themes of this kind, which then get boiled down into doable tasks, right. whether it's a, a numerical goal that we're going to hit and or a project that we're going to complete within that given quarter. Uh, and then we go ahead and assign all those different projects, uh, which are high priority projects. We've taken a lot of time to think about them. In my early days, I would have rushed and, and just set goals arbitrarily. This is a, a much more robust process to really think with the team, take a, a half day to really boil down what the hell do we need to focus on in order to succeed here and have everybody win and then and then assign people to those goals. That, that's one. Um, number two, uh, Daryl, is on a weekly basis to assign and sort to myself, uh, and, and my team does this for themselves as well, um, what are going to be the core sort of doables that are going to get done on the next week. So what are the things that will be knocked dead by the time next Sunday comes to a close? Uh, And then to essentially draw those from a combination of two things. Number one, what came, or three things, what came up as a surprise? What maybe didn't get done last week? And what are our quarterly priorities, which really is the first reference. we got to look there first. So if there's something that didn't get done last week, but kind of nobody cares, mm-hmm. let it die. Um, and, and I think if, if you don't have a, pr- a priority reference process, it's very easy to just frantically squabble on whatever sort of is unfinished, um, which is, again, a, a mode in my earlier 20s I probably would have resorted to, uh, <laughs> especially juggling uh, multiple LLCs. So, yeah, so uh, being able to weekly reference that. And then for me personally, Daryl, I don't really force my team to do this, but for, for me personally, I'll pick three of those that are sort of the big ones. So by the time next Sunday comes to a close, like if I get hit by a bus, if uh, like everything goes wrong every single day, like, and I don't get done anything else that's on this list of seven or eight core things I want to get done next week. Here's the three that are are just going to get done. Mm. Like whether it means, whether it means like, like I skip meals, whether it means I don't reply to any emails for four days. Like I I just don't care. Here's the three things that are going to get done uh, this week, because this is what moving the ball forward looks like like most. So uh, in addition to setting some tasks for the coming week based on those three things I talked about, um, really figuring out what are the big boys that, that absolutely have to get done in order for anybody to be able to say, we are farther along now than we were last week, mm. to, to ensure that saying that would not be a lie. Mm-hmm. So determining those core three is, is a big deal. Uh, and then kind of similar process to that, Daryl, and then I'll, I'll wrap right up here, is uh, doing something similar on a daily basis. So when I wake up on a daily basis, I still do this paper-based. I switch to computer for like six yeah. months. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah, I'm not going to play games, man. I, I still do a paper base. It just is what it is. <laughs> I feel like less of a person. I feel, feel like uh, terrible about Whatever. having a paper base. But yeah, I feel like it's, it's I consider it, it borderline a moral flaw. But uh, at some point, everything's going to be super digital and like in our heads. And, you know, I'm going to have to get used to get jacked into machines and stuff like that. I should probably adopt as, as much on the cutting edge as I can. But in terms of focus, it sort of boils down. I'll put some tea in the morning and I will... On the top right-hand corner of, of a, a quarter sheet of paper, um, jot down what are the three things in that day. And one of them, probably, Daryl, mm-hmm. is one of the top three for the week. Yep. So, you know, on, on Monday, there's going to be one of my big top three for the week. I'm just going to want to kill by the time Monday ends. I want one of those things dead. So um, what are the top three things even for this day? 
And then I'll also structure out what are all of my meetings? What do I want to get out of those meetings? What do I want to bring up in those meetings? So I'll kind of write down everything that's hard pressed already into the calendar and sort of exactly what I want to get out of all of those individual sessions uh, and then figure out what are the top three objectives uh, for the day. And it's really an iterative process, but you know what it's let me do, particularly in the days of juggling multiple businesses, which I totally don't advise as a way of life, is a reference, <laughs> a consistent reference to priority, mm. not a consistent reference to what could be done next, what is left undone, but a consistent reference to priority. Right. In terms of habits, I, I couldn't tell you I have anything more important than, than a process of consistently referencing priority. Right. There's just sort of nothing more important than that uh, for me personally. So you can focus on the, what is it, ignore the trivial many and focus on the critical few. Yeah. yeah, yeah, big deal, man. I mean, that, that's that's the ball game, and and you know, it's it's hard to determine what are the critical few, right? That that takes this sort of calibrated quarterly, half day, mega brain dump process uh, to really distill those. But once you distill them, don't let go of them. When you when you hit the ground running with frantic effort, at least have that be pointed mm. at the highest, wisest, mm-hmm. most rust objectives that you have. Do that hard thinking. You know, put in the hard work to do that hard thinking, and then when you work, at least you have a north star to chase down. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I can't think of anything that translates across businesses sort of that's more important than that rhythm. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I honestly, again, like I said at the beginning, people here might have, I will hopefully have written some of this down or typed it down or something. If not, they may want to re-listen to this interview a couple of times. So now, Dan, let me ask you about the exiting. Yeah. How do you separate yourself from the business and exit? How do you have a sellable asset? Because I know a lot of people get stuck in things like earnouts where they have to slowly, gradually relinquish ownership yeah. and then they get paid over like 10 years, you know, and then really and, tough, really tough. Right. Anytime I sign a danger, you know, the, the buyer gets to back out and, you know, like, so. Yep. How do you get favorable terms? So this is a, a great question. Everything's going to be a give and a take. So in the, the sale of science of skill, um, instead of trying to get somebody to pay four and a half times profit uh, and, and then see what kind of terms they want to come up with, uh, I decided that if I was able to get around three times profit, which is a little bit over a million bucks at that time, and I got 90% up front and I was really not obligated to do any additional work, um, that this would actually be favorable for me because here in Silicon Valley, you don't you don't wait 10 years to sort of to do things. So that was the way that I decided to skin the cat. So everything's a give and a take. That's one very important uh, facet. If you want to sort of uh, race things to the front in terms of payment, that there's going to be kind of some, some chips to slide around the table in terms of who gets benefits on what. But another really important point, Daryl, is and this was advice I got from uh, a guy in the, like an almost 80-year-old guy in the semiconductor industry who I was chatting with casually about the goal of selling this company about a year before I did. And, and he, he said some advice that I uh, very much took to heart and I think was critical to, to getting the business sold, which was, young man, uh, create a list top to bottom of everything operational that you do. Everything that involves like turning gears, turning cranks to get a result out the back end. If you are meeting with someone, someone else who is the doer, uh, that's fine. You don't have to get rid of that necessarily. If you are advising on a weekly basis, helping the team set some goals, eh, that's okay. You're being a director there, that's okay. But if you're doing the doing, son, then create a list and create a list of everything that is currently being done by you. Everything that can fit under operations that slides under your name. You make a list and over the course of the next year, you put every single one of those items under somebody else. And if you want to show up to meetings, fine. You want to help set goals, fine. Those are what directors do. Uh, that's what an owner does, but you do not want to be a worker. Uh, and, and this was direction that I, I was surprised was never put in such a simple nutshell beforehand. Um, and, and I kind of eagerly took action on. So uh, making sure that affiliate communications uh, sort of 
merchant account communications, advertising goals and budgeting processes sort of month over month, that none of these things needed to involve me going into the spreadsheets and doing work, Mm. but instead me talking to someone every Monday, let's say, and just getting an update from them. This is what an owner does. This is what a director does. So if you're doing what owners and directors do, you're basically selling kind of an object, right? You're not selling a new job that someone else has to step into. You're you're selling kind of this this little machine uh, filled with with people and processes, and your actual crank turning is is functionally nil, uh, other than and talking to the crank turners uh, and to the people that are that are uh, in, in the operational roles. And, and fortunately, I had a great team, a team who was compensated at the exit, as I was, uh, and, and who was just good at their respective roles. But in terms of like, if you are the actual person selling it, like if, if you're that guy, there's nothing wrong with doing operations if you don't have the goal of selling. But if you're going to sell, you stop doing operations, assuming you want cash up front, right? right? If, you, if you want to, if you're okay with being there for half a decade, then by all means, make yourself as essential as possible to the business processes. Uh, but if you'd like a higher multiple and if you'd like more of that in terms of cash, then it's very, very important uh, to gradually step away, step away, step away. And what that meant for me there was paying my team more, more. to handle more responsibility, yep. right? So here's, guys, I, I was very upfront about it. They all knew I had moved out to San Francisco. You know, he, here's kind of the direction we're going. There's some of these aspects of things that I'm doing uh, that, you know, Dylan, I'll be training you on and Tim, I'll be training you on. And man, this stuff is worth cash to the damn company. So, you know, we're going to be working on compensation to sort of work with this, but, you know, you guys are going to be dead serious lieutenants in, in making this business crank. Uh, and, and they were, uh, and, and they were paid well for it. Uh, and then, you know, we got to the exit. So that initial process by that older gentleman who was kind enough to riff with me for 20 minutes uh, was turned into a 12-month project to free myself up. So that, that's kind of the same exercise I'd advise anybody else uh, to follow. I think that's a fantastic exercise. So make a list of all the operational things you do, meetings you're going to, stuff you're getting built, or calls you're taking, all that sort of stuff, and make a list of that, and then get somebody else to do it. Uh, dedicate a year to getting yourself off that list, yep. and all those things on someone else's shoulder. Now, that's a really, like you said, it's a really simple nugget, but extremely profound. Now, I have one question. I know other people are already thinking it too. You're right. You will have to compensate your team more. How much is too much? Yeah, I, I think well, there's all kinds of ways to anchor this stuff. And to be honest, we weren't a, a large enough, you know, a, a $2 million e-commerce company for me meant one full-time employee, one part-time employee, two core contractors and some folks overseas, right? Mm-hmm. That's what $2 million meant uh, for me. So this was not a, a large staff where, right. you know, we got 20 people on the floor and uh, this is just really super duper not like that. Only one full-time employee and, and again, multiple millions in the top line. So luckily there wasn't as much thinking to be done here as there would be in, in like a consulting business or something that's very extremely uh, human heavy. Um, but I, I think on my end, it was kind of, all right, well, what does this kind of work get compensated like elsewhere, you know, in, in, in other businesses, in, in other spaces? Um, and in my case, the marketing and sales elements um, so the, the the parts of the process that I handled that involved sales um, were something that I was willing to pay uh, a percent off of in terms of what the result was for the following month uh, on profitability. So the ability to calibrate ad spend um, and then correlate that directly to financial results the following month. This is taking me a lot of time personally. It's also worth an exceptional amount of money to the company, one of the most valuable processes in the company. Um, so I decided to figure out a way to make that a commissionable task. So, you know, gauging by what's similarly paid in the industry is sort of a nice way to benchmark. Uh, I I can't say, you know, I had that many people to do that with, but for me, in my case, and this will be different for everybody, uh, in my case, marketing, sales, driving traffic, driving front-end transactions was sort of the most important process to get off my plate. Mm -hmm. 
and is also very much a growth and profit tied process. And for me, if, if I could spend one hour a week in a meeting instead of six hours a week doing the work, that was worth paying, you know, X percent of the following month's profit to the person who completely owned that process. And if they flopped, they wouldn't get paid as much. Yep. If they did great, they did basically get double what their salary was for that month. Right. Um, which is nice. Decent, so yeah. yeah, which is which is pretty nice. So yeah, so Tim, who's my right hand man who I think you may have met at some seminar at some point. No, we've met a bunch of time, had a bunch of calls. Yeah. Tim was a, like my main soldier. Tim was my boy. Uh, he had been there from day one. He really had the responsibility and the gusto. He had a natural inkling towards marketing. Mm-hmm. If there's anybody I'd want to give a chunk of what our profits would be, it would be Tim. Mm-hmm. He put in a lot of hours uh, in the early days. And so I, I gave him a, probably a healthier portion of sales and marketing driven profit than uh, you know you probably would for anybody that you'd bring on on year five of growing a business. But Tim was there from mm-hmm. from uh, from ground zero. So yes, it's totally handed off. Yeah, there's a development there that's worth it. It's oh yeah, worth it. definitely. And it's like the ability for us to grow without me being able to directly tie myself to the growth mm-hmm. is adding to the promise of the saleable asset right. in a way that more than justified commission. You well, know? And even on top of that, like, so let's say you're making a benchmark monthly income and you bring someone like this on, your income will drop in the short term, but really even paying them that commission, your income should still be growing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and not to mention if your time is growing, right. uh, that's kind of nice too. Uh, not to mention, <laughs> and if you sell for a fatter multiple, that's a way to get those dollars back. So there's, there's a lot of ways to skin the cat. In my case, it was just right to do it with Tim and, yep. and uh, I, I, you know, super duper wanted to. And, and make it more than fair, um, but it, it also definitely added to the saleability of, of the company. Which is phenomenal. So, Dan, this has been amazing. This is one, an interview to listen to again and again for sure. You've literally walked us through the initial stages all the way through to the exit with some fantastic tips along the path. And I know that you've got a, a hard stop, so I want to be really respectful of your time. Yeah, yeah. But I appreciate it. I want to say before I, I ask anything else, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? You know, to, to be frank, I think there's a lot of other nuance around kind of getting an exit. And fortunately, that stuff is easily Googleable. Like, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. like a bunch of my previous interviews have been on that and, and whatnot. I, I, you know, it's easily findable on the internet. I think sort of in terms of broad translation across business, whether you're ready to sell or not, I think kind of the, the regimens of priority was probably the anchor point that was most important to kind of ultimately getting there. So yeah, I can't, I can't think of anything pressing that I would have said, man, you needed to ask this. So I think we kind of hit on the big stuff. Yeah. Dan, that's so awesome. I know you've got 101 other priorities right now, and I appreciate you so much coming and sharing with my audience and giving some people, this is going to be a real gift. You know, this is going to be a life-changing gift for them, the time that you spent here. If anyone wants to reach out and connect with you, there's Tech Emergence. Is that the way that they should, they should go to techemergence.com? Is yeah. there an email or what? I think, I mean, anybody can find me on, you know, Twitter and say, what's up? The Probably in terms of relevance for your audience, clvboost.com stands for customer lifetime value. CLVBoost.com um, is where I, I still do some writing about um, marketing, internet marketing automation. So the sort of processes undergirding the, the e-commerce business that we grew and sold, that's sort of the only place where I do my journaling and meditating on that stuff. Uh, there's a white paper on that page that is essentially sort of the fundamental email processes that, that got us past the seven-figure mark that's on CLV Boost. So if people are like, ah, this is the kind of stuff I want to use for my company, CLVBoost.com is definitely the place to go to just check that out. You can also, you know, find my contact stuff there uh, as well. 
yeah, tech emergence is cool. It's artificial intelligence. The one report that would have been fun to riff about, but it wasn't our main topic, is sort of a recent report we did on the impact of AI and marketing. Daryl, I can send you the, the link to reference. Sure. It's much more relevant than the homepage of tech emergence. What should they Google to find it? They should Google tech emergence, marketing? Yeah, mar- marketing and AI or something like that. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll zing it along on Skype here when, when, we, uh, when we hang out. But I would say in terms of relevance for business and just kind of reaching out and being in touch, CLV Boost is probably the best place to learn the business stuff. And then otherwise, just, you know, find me on Twitter, pop me a message, let me know you heard me through Daryl, and I'll be happy to hear from you. So that's about it for me, man. That's so awesome. Dan, it is always an honor and a pleasure whenever we talk. You're one of my favorite friends, and we both started way back then. Oh, yeah. um, Chasing each other. It's just been an amazing journey, and it's such an honor and pleasure to to walk that path with you and just even see you shine. And I know that the most exciting thing is we're both just getting started. Like, that's the coolest part. We have the rest of our lives ahead of us. So thank you, man. I appreciate your time today. I know you got to go, so I'll let you go, but just thank you. Awesome, brother. I appreciate you having me on, man. I'll catch you soon. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, What can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.